0: Welcome, everyone, to the Every Other Thursday podcast, where in each episode, we bring you suggestions for improving the guest dining experience and our industry roundtable, where we tackle the industry issues of the moment. Every Other Thursday is an approximately 30-minute presentation featuring our industry experts who are never shy about offering up their thoughts and ideas. Every Other Thursday is brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. Tabletop Journal, where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places in the world of hospitality tabletop. Now, here's your host of Every Other Thursday, Dave Turner.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Every Other Thursday. By the way, for those of you accounting, this is episode number 18 of Every Other Thursday. And I'm Dave. I'm your host here at Every Other Thursday. And as always, I'm here with my colleagues Jay Alley and Greg Kirsch. And this week, we're back with me, of course, in Studio B here at the Tabletop Journal Studios, Greg in the northern suburbs of Chicago, and Jay, my lovely friend Jay, already ensconced in his northern retreat, at least for the time being. And once again, we're ready to bring you our thoughts, commentary on the fast moving and exciting hospitality business. Gentlemen, welcome.
2: Thank you. Glad to be with you again. Greetings from the ocean.
1: Ocean. Where? What ocean are you on? Pacific Atlantic? Are you, do you want are you in an undisclosed location, the witness protection program? What?
2: No, I'm in Westport, Massachusetts, between Fall River and New Bedford, which is pretty much the gateway to Cape Cod.
1: That's a beautiful area up there.
2: In search of fried clams.
3: <laughs> fried
1: clams. The elusive fried clams.
3: Is there a special kind of uh, dinnerware that fried clams are served on?
2: Fried clams would taste good eaten out of a paper bag.
3: I was going to say
1: newspaper is as good as anything.
2: Yeah, it doesn't matter. It's so good. The the interesting thing about fried clams is they're more expensive than lobster, which is hard to believe, but it is. it has been for a couple of years.
1: Well, gentlemen, in our last episode, and that was a fabulous episode, we had with a well-known industry consultant and guru, Bob Golden, from the market research firm. And I want to get this right again, Greg. Pentelec.
3: Pentelec. Yes. Five guys, intellect.
1: Five guys, intellect, pentelec. Yep. Yep. It was great having Bob with us. He brought a lot of insights and commentary, and I, and I think that it really changed probably a lot of our listeners' thoughts on some of the things that are happening, particularly the recovery process. Anyway, I think he really brought a lot to our party.
3: I thought he did a really good job of kind of focusing everyone's thoughts. You know, there's a, obviously, there's a lot going on, a lot of questions out there, and, and, and nobody has all, all the answers. But he did, I thought he did a really nice job, if anybody wants to go back to our previous episode, looking into the crystal ball and saying where we might be going.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty impressed with the with the whole team they have at Pentelec. That's a very experienced group of people, very knowledgeable. And even Bob, I think, had to admit a couple of times along the way, we, we're really in uncharted waters for our industry. We've never really had a pandemic that was a national kind of situation in scope. Katrina, very regional. Hurricanes, storms, things like that, all very regional. This is national and even international, global. So it's a a different situation. Absolutely. And I think that last week, because we were running long, it was such a great session with Bob. We did try to wrap it up a little bit at the end, but we were cut a little short. So I'd I'd like to hear a little bit of what you guys thought, some more of that conversation about how it went. But before we get into all your thoughts about Bob Golden, I want to just get through the business part of this. Every other Thursday, of course, is our 30 minutes or so podcast where we bring you the world of hospitality and food service. We give you our expert thoughts and opinions. And as always, this week's episode of Every Other Thursday brought to you by Tabletop Journal. Tabletop Journal is where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places in the world of hospitality tabletop. So, gentlemen, what, if anything, surprised you about what Bob said And what were your thoughts just in general, in a macro sense, of what Bob Golden was talking about in this recovery process last time?
2: He was listening to our podcast.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You think he's been listening to us and just kind of fed it back to us?
2: Yeah, it was funny because, I mean, actually, almost everything that we touched on over the last few weeks, I mean, he touched on in one shape, manner or form. But I mean, I think the thing with him, the impression that I got is, is he deals with some really, really big, big customers so
1: yeah he sees it from 60,000 feet no question
2: yeah and even even though some of those are are giants it still boils down to a lot of things that we talk about when we were talking about independence and small chains and all that stuff so he's right on I mean that group has their hands in a lot of lanes so it's kind of neat to talk to a guy like that that that's got all those varying opportunities he can see some of those that we don't really see like he does you know he's right in the middle of it
3: it's easy for us as I often say for us to come up with these great suggestions but we do recognize and I think but you know, it really came out clear with Bob that it's gonna be a tough road a to hole going forward for everybody. And so we just we're not flippant with our with our suggestions here. Just they're just food for thought, trying to help the industry, trying to help operators. And if you look at what you know, what Bob is saying, he's like he did a nice job of summarizing what I think we all know. There's gonna be a lot of closures. People are not going to be reopening. It's gonna to be tough for those that are reopening. You know, certain segments are gonna be especially impacted we obviously any any buffet type of operation are those ever going to come back grocery stores that were really moving into the food service world with their salad bars and soup stations what's all going to be going on there well we do it's it's important to know that and to be reminded they, <laughs> that they are being impacted how they're going to come back we don't know But as we've often said, nature abhors a vacuum, and people love food service. It's going to come back, but what form, and we've been saying, and I think reiterated by Bob, there's going to be a lot more focused, streamlined-type concepts and operations processes moving forward.
1: Now, of of our group here, Greg, you're the only one that's been a consultant. Jay and I do it probably every day way too much. We, add, we throw our opinions out there like they really matter. But when you're paid for your opinion, do you have a tendency, and this is just an opinion, I'm not saying that Bob did this, but do, do consultants have a tendency to sort of overstate things in in any particular way to, to make a point or for effect or, or whatever? And, and I didn't think Bob was doing that, but I, I wonder, you know, sometimes if consultants in general don't do that.
3: I think that's probably quite common. And the more controversy, the the better, some say, because it draws attention to uh, one sure. oneself self, one brand. But in the kind of consulting that I was involved in, we did a lot of primary research, you know, talking to people in the industry. It was all primary, but a lot of it was anecdotal where we're just going out and getting people's opinions, lots of surveys, that type of thing. And again, Nobody knows what's happening. But if you talk to 20 high-level people in the industry, you'll get a pretty good idea. These are all smart people. And if you put their ideas together, you're going to come up with something that's directionally correct.
1: Yeah, the picture probably starts to come into focus after a few of those interviews.
3: Exactly. And so that that's the kind of consulting that I, I was involved with, as opposed to people that just sit back and think of some ideas and throw it against the wall and see if it sticks. And I'm not saying that's necessarily wrong, but I think that Bob comes from the, from the same school as I did where he's constantly talking with people in the industry. And, and that's, uh, you know, as good of a place as you can get to form some solid opinions about what's going forward.
2: Yeah. I think if you're a consultant, you've got to be real careful not to not tell people what you think they want to hear. <laughs>
3: right.
2: Otherwise, they, you know, you're not doing them much good.
1: Yeah. I mean, there, there were a couple of things that Bob mentioned last week, specific things that, that kind of raised my eyebrows a little bit. One of which is he he mentioned something about write-offs for large distributors. Uh, and when I'm thinking of large distributors, I think of U S Foods, Cisco, that kind of thing. And I think the number he threw out was 6 billion with a B. And, and I think I even asked him, I said, that was with a B, right? And uh, yeah. Uh, was there anything that surprised you guys or maybe you, maybe, you know, stopped you and uh, made you pause a little bit?
3: Well, regarding that no i guess it confirmed what i already thought that it's is it, okay. i've been hearing it's a big number and uh, that is a, That is a you know just a big number doesn't it make it make quite frankly it makes sense yeah uh, you don't like to see it somebody you know somebody has to absorb that and it's very telling about what's going on but i guess at the end of the day it wasn't surprising
1: Mm-hmm. And Jay, what do you think about what Bob said about the permanent tableware category and some of the, you know, the suppliers to that and how they're going to fare through through this quote unquote recovery journey?
2: Yeah, I think he was right on. I mean, I, I don't remember the, the conversation exactly. I was going through some of the notes that you sent us, but I mean, I think the thing that I'm convinced of is that not everybody's going to go to paper. Not everybody's going to go to melamine. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a firm believer that the better places that at least that buy my products are going to you know, in some cases, they could be even elevate their service in the restaurant because the 50% of the people that go there, if that's where they got to stay to be open, then I mean, you can't do 100%. So I don't know. I, I think it's going to be, it'll, I don't think it's going to be as bad as we think. I, one of the things that's scaring me a little bit is not to throw something out there that caused real controversy, but I'm really concerned that. It's not that I don't believe the numbers, but what make up the numbers? In some place, I don't know if it was when we were we were together last, but somewhere someone told me they were talking to someone in the business.
1: Someone was talking to someone.
2: Someone was talking to someone in the medical business. It was on a news channel, and they said, "Well, how do you you know how do you figure out how many cases, you know what's going on with it?" And the person said, "Well, you know if we find someone that's got it, or whatever those people are called, that search out other people that you've been in contact with." And if you've got it and then you tell them, well, I, you know, maybe I've talked to 15, 20, 25, 30 people that I know Then if it's 30 people, now there's 31 cases. And I'm like, well, that's not really true. How much could that possibly be affecting the numbers? Mm-hmm. And then the deaths are going in the right direction, which is less people are dying. So what's scaring me a, a bit is now it's like, what is really real? What do we really believe? So I, you know, i don't know i mean i think i think right. it's just super serious because i think this crazy crap that went on down in the ozarks and down in florida with people not socially distancing and all of that stuff i'm sure there's a spike then you got the massive increase in testing so i don't i don't know if i know where we're really at but i was watching this morning and the whole country's red going supposedly going in a direction where they might start closing stuff down
1: again my thought on all that stuff i don't know whether well first of all, just because the number of cases go up, obviously they're, we're testing more, I guess. You're talking about all all this is about COVID, of course. Right. But the other part of that is is that yes, you've got more cases, yes, we're doing more testing, but after a while, don't we all just get a little numb to some of
3: this? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. yeah I think I think that's one of the things that's going on. is people are just, you know, kind of numb and kind of a rebellious nature to it, you know
1: I'm not really surprised to see bars full of young people because, hey, we're not young so much anymore. We're not old, we're not young. But when you're young in a youngish age, you feel like you're bulletproof a bit. The other day i I, I thought this was interesting, and I don't know which London newspaper it was, but maybe The Guardian, which is a little uh, slants a certain way anyway. but they They opened up on July fourth, and they showed pictures of young people just jammed into pubs and bars and restaurants, very similar to what we've seen over here. And I, I think that number one, you combine the fact that people are just being inundated with figures. kind of, the world's coming to an end or whatever. Secondly, the fact that young people feel bulletproof and they're they've been cooped up, and we've all been cooped up for now. Mm-hmm. 90 to 120 days. And so to me, it isn't surprising that you have these large groups gathering and whatever. And I get it on one hand, but the thing that I I don't really get a lot is why, uh, I mean, I hate wearing a mask personally, but I do it. I mean, to me, it's a, without getting into the taking away my civil liberties, but it, it's a small thing to do that might or might not be helpful but it but the fact that it might be helpful might be really helpful what the hell am i going to do i mean you know i just wear the damn thing and shut up and and go go about my business that seems easier for me to do right now anyway maybe it's because i'm a little older whatever if i was younger maybe i'd be more uh, rebellious as you said Greg
3: well here in in the north in, at least in the chicago area you can't even go anyplace if you don't wear a mask you can't get into any establishment so mm-hmm. so regardless of what your thoughts are, you can't yeah, you can't do it anyway, yeah, right. You just can't do it anyway, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I guess as an observation that I just had, and, you know, we're speaking about to Jay's point about whether people are gonna move to disposables or not move to disposables. I, there's an upscale mall near me here. And at one of the entrances to the mall, there's a "Let Us Entertain You" restaurant. For those of you who know that you know, uh, "Let Us Entertain You." So it's a fairly upscale place. But the, what they did is the mall allowed them to put tables outside the entrance. There's an awning area as an entrance, and so people are there's tables just you know separated out there. And I noticed they all had really nice dinnerware, glassware. People are drinking wine out there, and it was actually. Quite a nice venue. And, you know, the mall doesn't have a lot of traffic, so there wasn't a lot of people going in and out. But it was a great place to sit in, in the shade. It was almost, for lack of a better term, very kind of European-looking yeah, outdoor sure. cafe. But everybody had really, they, you know, they were drinking out of nice, nice glassware on permanent plates. It was, it was good. And it made it, it really, that tabletop really made an impression there in, in, that, in that whole in that whole temporary thing.
1: Yeah, I think there's some benefits and uh, certainly some nice evenings and all that. I, I, I think the combination of when, certainly when you're outside, it's really weather dependent to a large extent. And I, I think that's that's a downside for sure. But the fact also too that you've got to be distanced, physically distanced in, in some way, I think that just limits the number of seats. And But I do think that uh, you have operators who are being very, very creative with what they're doing outside. And I point to um, a place that I go to north of where Jay is now in Westport, Mass up in Maine. And some of those people along the coast of Maine now have, have taken um, where they have large lawns. They put tables right out on the lawns. Mm-hmm. now. Now it gets a little bit more difficult for the server to sort of, Get to the tables to to bring the food or the beverages, or whatever. And they've got protocols that you, you know you can't get up and go get anything, the server always will bring it to you, that kind of thing. But I think, yeah, I think I see some operators being very, very innovative. There's
2: been a lot of that on the side of the hill stuff going on in Newport, Rhode Island for forever. I mean, in a castle, Hill yep. serves all over their lawn. I mean, it's, it can be a 50, 75 yard walk to bring somebody their food and their wine, but they do it and it's. I mean, you've got to stand in line to get there before this even happens.
3: So I, I live in a uh, little tiny village along Lake Michigan, just north of Chicago, and it's historically been very conservative in the in its ways. No, with no liquor licenses or anything like that. And in fact, they just at the end of last year just granted their first liquor license in a restaurant tour very uh, a very savvy guy came into town he has a Cornell hospitality degree owns some operations around the country and he created a really nice place here and i've talked about it without actually n- you want to give him a plug? Yeah, it's, it's Great Coast Commons here. His name is uh, Chick Evans. Anyways, so here's a village that's never even allowed people to to sell liquor, and all of a sudden they're cooperating. And he and we have it's a really old village, in, in and at the end of the block there's a boulevard, and there's in the boulevard has a, a grass strip up the middle, up the middle, with uh, you know trees and bushes. And my understanding is they're going to allow him to serve there
2: on the grassy knoll, baby, on the grassy knoll. <laughs>
3: there's no room on the side in the sidewalks of this little village you know the way it was laid out back in the 1800s but we have a boulevard so you know so it's so hey is that a hardship for him yes but i think it's a it's a you know from a guest point of view i think it's pretty cool so maybe you know so i'm hoping that a lot of this stuff actually sticks because we're going to come out of this And uh, when we do, you know, what's going to stick and what's not? I think that I'm hoping a lot of these these ideas stay around.
1: Well, it's funny you say that because we've done a uh, on our other podcast and on Tabletop Journal's website, we've talked a lot in recent months about cocktails to go. And a lot of states transitioned into temporary legislation where, yes, restaurants could sell cocktails to go on a temporary basis. And now some of those laws you're starting to see being made permanent. And I think that's an interesting switch over. And I do think that there is some transitioning that's going on throughout the industry. It's all good stuff.
3: So here's another, here's an opportunity because my understanding, at least here in Illinois, you have to sell those cocktails to go in a glass container that has you know that's sealed so that you could drive away with it, and you know there's no problems drinking and driving, blah, blah, blah. So to me, that's an opportunity for manufacturers to create to go glass containers, you know, perhaps with handles or non-spill, or they fit or they fit perfectly in the cup holder in the car. I mean, it could be a million things, but to me that's a huge opportunity out yeah. there.
2: Well, I think I mentioned last one one of the episodes where there's a company called Sheets, which is a big operator in New York, Pennsylvania. Or I don't know how far in, into the state they go, but you know they sell a lot of to-go food. The food actually is not bad. Their sandwiches and salads are good. And I told Dave, I said, they had a, a, a rack, maybe two, three feet wide, five feet tall, and it had four or five vintages of wine on it All in little glass, little glasses, like almost look like a a juice glass with a cover hermetically sealed in plastic. So you'd have to cut the plastic to get the cover off. And this is in a gas station. It was $2.99 a glass. Not a bad deal. You know? Not a bad deal at
1: all.
3: And why not? Yeah. So like, why haven't we done this for the operators beforehand? So there is, I mean, I don't want to be Pollyanna, but there is sometimes uh, silver linings, you know?
2: Necessity is the mother of invention.
3: right? Right, right, right.
1: All right, gentlemen, we're going to take a break right now. And when we come back, I want to finish up with Bob Golden and thinking about some of the things that he took us through last episode. And then I want to jump into where we go now that we start seeing some of the reclosure of regions of the country, Florida, Texas, and so on. So we'll be right back with more from Every Other Thursday.
0: This episode of Every Other Thursday is brought to you by tabletopjournal.com for more than 8 years, Tabletop Journal has been raising the awareness of just how important tabletop is to the overall guest dining experience. Using the hashtag #TabletopMatters, Tabletop, tabletop Journal's connected the kindred spirits of the hospitality world all around the globe. Tabletopjournal.com, where we celebrate the products, the people and the places all in the world of hospitality tabletop. Now, back to our podcast.
1: Hey, everybody, we're back here in our second segment on Every Other Thursday, and we're continuing to recap the great conversation we had last week with Bob Golden from, Greg, what is it? Pentelec. Pentelec. If you don't know and you're in this industry, the food service and hospitality industry, you really should. It's a great, great consulting firm, and I think it's pentelec.com. And you can find him there, Bob Golden. Great guy quick question I had in one of the comments that Bob said last week was he thought that the headwinds, as he called them, were going to be huge and they were going to continue. uh, They are huge. We know that already for the reopening and the recovery process. But he said they were going to continue, he thought, for another 18 months. Now, is that just Bob being Bob? Or do you guys agree with that or not? Because we're there, we really didn't dig into that with him. That seems like a long time.
3: Well, originally I thought that's a long time. But just in the one week since Bob has been on with us, I mean, you watch the news and things seem to be going downhill fast. Yeah. So it's all of a sudden 18 months seems like it could be a very real possibility.
2: We'll see what happens in the next few weeks. In Massachusetts, everything up here is going down they're in a much better position so i don't know i mean this
1: illinois
3: too yeah
1: I, we're not experts in the in this uh, covid deal but i was under the impression or had this somehow feeling that with warmer weather everything would sort of dissipate a little bit and the concern was it was going kind to of like the phase 2 if you will was coming in the fall as the weather turned a little bit colder any thoughts on that a lot
2: more people outside I mean, you know, look at what happened in the Ozarks and in Florida. And the Ozarks thing I that was to me was bizarre because that's not that's a big place, but it's not that big. I mean, you should be able to control what's going on in your swimming pool. But down in Florida, I mean, we got friends that own a are in Delray Beach and they got a beautiful condo not too far from the water and stuff. Well, you know, there's Rangers driving around in four wheel drive trucks and all this baloney. And when all of that stuff was going on uh, on the beaches before they started throttling it back. I didn't see any 4x4s four with any rangers patrolling the beach saying, hey, if you people don't start getting a little space between you, I'm going to have to write you up or kick you off the beach. So I, I, I don't get it. To me, the level of common sense that sometimes is not there is astonishing. And if you were going to open up your beaches after being praised to how well you did, why wouldn't you make sure that law enforcement, whether it's rangers, park rangers, you know, regular police, uh, I don't know how they classify those guys that drive around on the beach, but I didn't see them doing anything. And then, then look what happened. So, I don't know.
3: you know, and from the other side, you know a lot of this what's going on is like it's it's an overused phrase now. it's so it's such new territory. Logic tells us you watch flu over the years, and you know and they come summer, the flu incidences decrease in the summer for a variety of reasons. and and then you and then so you expect that to happen with coronavirus. Well, even like last, several months ago, I was, I was reading the experts are saying, well, that's not necessarily the case with coronavirus per se, just because the weather's getting better and that people's habits change and that it's, uh, you know, you're outside in the sunshine. It doesn't work quite like they don't think if it's going to work like flu. And true enough, it hasn't.
2: But Again, you know, I, I, I don't disagree with Greg, but like I say, what is the real number?
3: Well, I don't know. I don't think anybody know You're right. I don't think anybody knows.
2: Yeah. yeah and then you know, one, one of the uh, medical people who were on one of the channels that wasn't a regular, you know, they they were asking an opinion. I forget what he he was saying, but it was like, you know, OK, if the things are up and people are sick. But basically, I think he was saying is like, best I can recall, it, it takes you four weeks to find out if you're going to croak. So technically, the death numbers should uh-huh. stop. Yeah, that's what he said. Basically, yeah. you come in if you're really ill and go on a ventilator. And within four weeks, if you're that bad that you're not going to make it, if you're a really senior citizen, whatever. I mean, wasn't being unsympathetic, but he was saying that's about how long it takes. And and so now we're that was about a week ago. So we're three weeks away to see what's going to happen here. Now, if the deaths keep going down, then I just keep saying again, what kind of what's making up these numbers that everybody's reporting? If it's I talked to, to, to one person, but I was in the, in the mall, and I think there must have been 50 people around me, is that now 51 cases that you're putting it into the stats? I don't know.
1: You know, it's interesting, too. I had a conversation yesterday with somebody in Europe, and, and we're talking about how you, the European markets, not all of them, but some are opening up and getting back to, quote-unquote, a more normal pre-COVID kind of environment. And yet we see what's going on here, and what we have going on here is that It's not as uh, widespread, obviously, because of the population, but it's happening in places like Melbourne Australia as well, where they're actually locking down apartments, these high-rise apartment buildings, and not letting people come or go. So I I, I think that uh, there's differences, just like there are across the US. There's some markets that are open, some are not. And I guess we're going to see. We're going to see. So it's a little crazy right now. But Back to uh, your point earlier, Greg. Uh, the it's been since about the middle of March. This has been a fast-moving story, pandemic, whatever you want to call it, and it continues to be. It's changing rapidly.
3: I mean, even this the story is is mutating as fast as the, vi- as the virus.
1: And yet, we bring a guy like Bob Golden on here, who's as knowledgeable as as anybody in this business, and he struggles with where you know, what the future is going to look like exactly. Even when we get into the futures of buffet, while he believes intuitively, I think, like we do, that there will be a future for buffets. And to Greg, to your point always is the consumer wants it so somebody will figure it out. But Bob can't, he can't describe what that buffet will look like. And I think that's those types of things are interesting too. I, I was also uh, curious, you know, talking about opportunities coming out of this. And, and Bob talked about the packaging, and Jay, that goes to maybe the wines to go that you were talking about. There are opportunities still within the COVID uh, environment for growth.
2: You no, know, this isn't going to kill our industry. I mean, I, you know, I, we, I mean, I think again, not to diminish the severity of the, of the seriousness of this whole thing, but I mean, I you know, before I came up. In our little town of York, I mean, the same old story. I mean, everybody's adjusted and gotten some pretty sophisticated outdoor areas. It was a nice day. You can't get near them. The lines, are, but there's plenty of room. The servers are all wearing masks. People are really being careful. I I went in and actually talked to a friend of ours that owns the uh, you know the paddock and their kitchen spotless. I mean, I, you know, people are doing all they can do. I mean, you know, I I wonder. You know, you talk about the flu. I wonder if you really, 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 really Got the numbers of how many people contract the flu throughout the course of the year. What would that number look like compared to this virus thing? It's still, my guesses would be much larger number, but that's, you know, I, I have no way of knowing that. But I mean, this whole thing is under a microscope like I think it should be. But again, how, how many times have we been sick? Well, I mean, I had flu three or four years ago. I thought I was going to croak. I mean, how many people did I talk to? I was still working and traveling, and, you know. I, I don't know. You know, it's. Just, it, I think the uncertainty is the part that's really scary.
1: Yeah, I I, I was uh, not surprised to hear Bob say that the bulk food areas of grocery stores or whatever probably are going to be re reimagined. Let's leave it at that. But I can't imagine they're going to leave foods out in bulk for consumers to scoop up and uh, and put into uh, cello bags or, or whatever. I just can't imagine that that's going to continue in that in that form. But
3: I think a lot of that is optics. And I'm, hey, I'm not an expert in the in the area, you know, from what I've been reading about how the low transmission rate of illness on like dry bulk items is like, you know, so th- these are probably quite safe to do, but it's just a matter of optics where probably both the consumer and the um, retailer or the operator doesn't want to do it because it doesn't look right, doesn't yeah. seem right. But I think that there is a tendency, and I think that's where we're going with this. there is a tendency to go overboard. Let's just scrap all this because it doesn't look right. and we want to we want to appear. We want our brand to appear like we're 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 you know fully safe and we're protecting and we're doing what we everything we can. But in fact, there's probably no need to do some of it.
1: Yeah, I have this feeling that uh, I haven't veered from this too much. I have this feeling that, again, uh, there's going to be a lot of plexiglass, bulletproof glass, whatever you want to call it, available at some pretty outrageous prices, good prices, fairly soon. Because I see pictures of restaurants with that in it. I just don't see that being a long-term solution. Not for the restaurant business. It might be for banking and, and other types of businesses, convenience stores, whatever. But I just don't see it. Because uh, I, I, I in bars, how are you going to do that in a bar? And and again, Bob was gracious enough to say he'd come back, and we'd have to do a whole segment on bars. And I think we should take him up on that because I think bar business is very different than the restaurant. I
2: think we should take a field trip and go to a bar. Do we should go to
1: a hundred
3: bars and test them all out.
2: Not a hundred, but we gotta go to one. And check it out. <laughs> hey,
3: so it's not it's not our role here, but it, you know, now that you're talking about it, it'd be very interesting because you know, COVID nineteen isn't the only illness that is transmitted. So it would be very interesting to see with all this plexiglass and, it, and all the practices if we actually decrease the other illnesses that are going around. Because if we, if we don't, then we know that, the, that a lot of these practices were really overkill and didn't work. And I'm not saying that they are. I'm just saying it's, it's, these are interesting uh, things that can quitter.
1: What kind of
2: illnesses are you talking about?
3: Wait, what, I was, well, you know, yeah, right. <laughs> well, other strains of flu. Yeah. How about the the common cold? The
2: thing is, like vegetables. Why would you take vegetables off of display so people can pick their? the heads of lettuce and my heads of lettuce are usually wrap but like you should be washing everything when you get at home just to get the, the chemicals off of it i mean how how much did we pay attention to that? i mean i know we, i've been to the store for Sandy and buy some stuff and eating some radishes on the way home sneaking a bite we but you should be should have always been washing that stuff always
3: and then well and here and here you can go into most grocery stores here and actually uh pick what you know, as in the case of like radishes, pick your radishes, that kind of thing. But at the farmers markets, you can't do that. You have to you have to just point or ask. So again, some of these, you know, it just seems that people are worried about liability and it's the and it's the op and it's the optics. And what's gonna happen, you know, I think that all this stuff eventually will settle out. And I just hope that rational heads prevail with some of this, with yep, some of yep. these things. Well,
2: I know sweet corn in, in our part of the world is getting very expensive because it comes with its own container. People have just figured that out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you have to peel it. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. You know, one of the things that I think is, we touched on with Bob last week, and, uh, and I think it's really going to be one of the more major issues as we start going into the later months of summer and into fall, is this whole issue of The liquidity of companies, of restaurants, of operators in general, and the big pieces like rents and mortgage payments and things like that, because and it's also it's going to affect supply chain people, it's going to affect manufacturers and and so on, and I I really do think in in a certain way and and not to be uh, not to finish up on a on a down note, but I think that there's going to be a difficult time and it's in, in for a lot of people and it still is out in front of us a little bit. We're seeing it with some bankruptcies. We're seeing some. Uh, already, we're also seeing uh, some uh, sales of companies and mostly in the retail sector. I saw Brooks Brothers just went Chapter 11 today, I think it was. There's other, other retailers and in, in, in restaurants in their purest form are just another form of retail. So so I, I do think that that's probably one of the other problems, just staying in business, for, whether you're an operator, whether you're a supply chain person, or whether you're a manufacturer, particularly a permanent tableware. And Bob, I have to say, was not very optimistic when he spoke about the permanent tableware category, at least in the near term. Long term, yes, but in the near term, not so much.
2: Well, it's interesting, too. There was a gentleman on one of the news channels this morning. This operator was talking about it, and he said at 50% occupancy we can stay open. We just won't make any money. So that seems to be a good number. Twenty-five percent is not going to work, but fifty percent. He said, "We, you know, we'd be okay in some cases indefinitely. We just wouldn't be making much of a profit. So, no profit at all, probably or whatever." I mean, in a, in a weird way, that was kind of encouraging because at least it gives you some longevity. You're not just going to die tomorrow. You
1: know? Yeah, I, I, I think it's a uh, it's going to be a long and winding road to coin a phrase uh, for our our industry. And I don't know whether Bob's right with the 18-month number, but I agree, Greg, Uh, in the last week or so, just since Bob's been here, I I think there's been more change too. So it's hard to predict the length of this, but I certainly, uh, while back in March or April, I might've thought that the... Glassware business would already be starting to see some uh, resurgence in in the middle of July. I would have thought dinnerware would have started to see its resurgence in August, September, and I think we talked about all these numbers. But now it might be a little bit further out, and so uh, eighteen months may not be such a bad figure.
3: I agree. It's going to be. It's, it's being pushed out now because of, ch- of changes. But we, I think we we have all agreed. I think they came out of Bob's session that food service industry will rebound. It's going to to be tough rowing ahead. It's going to rebound. And I truly believe that permanent tableware is going to be part of that. You know, people want to go to restaurants, and people want to have a good experience. And we we keep on saying that the experience is is so important as opposed to just the sustenance. But They don't go there just for the food, and tableware is so important to that.
2: I was talking to uh, our, our distribution arm, Rack Porcelain, and our guy down there that manages the inventory, they just got a big order for for Darden for Capital Grills. Capital Grills runs a deal every year this time of year where they give you a larger-than-normal pour in of wine for a special price. And on the glass, we we just put generous pour. That's the name of the program. And I don't know whether Capital Grills are running at 50%. My guess is they're 50% occupants, but I don't know. But they're placing a big order for glassware optimistic.
3: And wine, for example, just tastes better out of nice glassware than it does out of a plastic cup. I love you, Greg. Keep. I love you. (laughs) And regarding that, there's just no argument.
1: Particularly if it comes from the northern part of Germany, Jay. Sure.
3: No, but good flatware, good flatware,
2: and good dinnerware is part of that as well. Is no yeah,
1: question. Absolutely, absolutely. I will tell you this. I, I don't know that any individual sector in any industry has been hit harder with all of this in the restaurant and hospitality trade around the world. But I also believe this industry is the most resilient and the most creative and innovative uh, in terms of uh, what how it's gonna recover from this. Um, however however it goes, nobody's gonna out-innovate and out-create the people in the restaurant and hospitality trade.
2: And when this first started, remember, I think Greg was the one that was pointing it out the most about how much people weren't doing to promote their takeout business. Yeah. yeah. Now, if you talk to people, I mean, I'm, I'm hearing from some people that do take their takeout businesses actually scaring them It's so good yep I mean, that's how good it's gotten. I mean, and I think surprised people.
3: It just took time for people to, to, to adjust. And, and when you hold, when you think about this, how much time, we're not talking about eons here. We're just talking about a couple of mo- couple I mean, of months. So it's really easy for us on the podcast yeah. to just, you know, to throw these things out and say, why isn't this happening? You know,
2: But if you're sitting around, if you're sitting around your picnic table and you're an owner wondering whether you should put up a banner that says we are open for takeout, you might want to sell your restaurant. Right, right, yeah. right, right. right. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's probably not too hard to come up with that. Any last thoughts on Bob Golden's visit here? I really enjoyed it. I love having that that outside, you know, vision, that outside opinion come in here. Any other thoughts you, from you, gentlemen?
2: We should get him back in a, in a few weeks to see what his his thoughts are and where the, where the business stands at that point. I think I think the next two or three weeks are going to be interesting.
3: And again, I thought it was it was a, it was a nice kind of organization organized everybody's thoughts about yep. where things might be going yep. and it serves as a great springboard to our discussion and i think that i guess as a teaser we're going to be talking about more innovation in the next in the next couple of episodes
1: Yeah, I I think we all agree that having expert guests who come in and can give us their thoughts, their opinions is really helpful and gives us a chance to argue about their comments or whatever you want. But I think our listeners, uh, the feedback we've gotten from listeners on uh, Bob's visit was great. And uh, we look forward to doing that a little bit more in the future. So, gentlemen, any last closing thoughts before we wrap up this episode?
2: Drink more wine.
1: Out of glassware. (laughs) Out of gray glassware. (laughs) I love it. Gentlemen, go have a great week. It's been great being with you again. And to our listeners, thanks for joining us on this episode of Every Other Thursday.
0: This episode of Every Other Thursday has been brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. For more than eight years, Tabletop Journal has been raising the awareness of just how important Tabletop is to the overall guest dining experience. Using the hashtag Tabletop Matters, Tabletop Journal has connected the kindred spirits of the hospitality world all around the globe. TabletopJournal.com, where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places, all in the world of hospitality tabletop. Thanks for joining us today for this episode of Every Other Thursday. You can learn more about Every Other Thursday by visiting our website, EveryOtherThursdayPodcast.com.